we are doing when this series we are doing a, a tag team model and so right now i'm going to have our worship leader is going to come up and he is going to take over at this point and i'm going to finish it out so uh y'all uh greet that attorney that's a, that's a pretty good greeting thank you hey i appreciate that um i feel like a stand-up comedian all of a sudden thanks for coming we're glad you're here who's from connecticut anyone can i get right home with you um listen um let me start off by saying real quick that i'm very thankful um and you should be too for pastors like we have so if we could just give a big round of applause for our pastors who um they take a big chance on us they they pour into our lives and then sometimes they put microphones in your hands and they let you say what you want to say not always a smart move but we'll see how it goes we are all we are in our second week of this worship series called boomerang and we talked last week about how um, worship actually originated with God and it came to us and then we are simply returning back to him what he started so we're if we get the point at God and say well you started it you said it first we're just eh, we're just returning it back to you today we want to focus on another little element of this and we'll start by saying this that worship at its core is about our recognition that God is the source of life and worthy of our thanks our praise and our devotion it's not just about him though it's also for us that might sound weird right because we're always saying it's all about god it's all about god it's all about god but guess what god doesn't do anything accidentally god doesn't institute anything accidentally if you think about the things that god has instituted for us ways to connect with him think of communion think of baptism think of the things that we do as a people to connect with god those all ultimately benefit us i mean god is not a needy person is he he doesn't do anything on accident He's not needy, he's not lonely, he's not egomaniacal, he's not that kind of thing that just has to have praise from us in order to feel good about himself. So there must be something else to it. There must be a reason, and there must be a benefit. So um, how do we benefit? I'll give you the first one on your little fill-in-the-blank there. It says this, worship keeps us focused on heavenly things. Worship keeps us focused on heavenly things. Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says it like this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Why does that matter? What does it matter if I'm thinking about heavenly things or earthly things? I'll tell you why it matters. Because you have an assignment. You got a job to do. And I tell you what, it is so easy to get distracted by this world. It's so easy to become preoccupied with the things of this world. If we're not careful, we allow the shiny things of this world to distract us, and we allow the circumstances of life to discourage us and take us out of the fight. Guys, we've got to keep our eyes on the things that don't change. We, we cannot spend time thinking about the things that are always changing and shifting and moving. My, my aunt is a great shopper. I love her to death. She's my, my favorite person besides my parents and my, my wife. Okay, she's one of my favorite people. I'll say it like that. I love her, but she describes herself as an ADD shopper. And when she shops, she does this. She picks up something, and in the middle of looking at it, she'll walk away and go, ooh, shiny, and drop it. And she'll go, ooh, and she'll pick that, oh, shiny, and she'll drop it. And she'll pick it, ooh, and she leaves the stuff. She's like the people at, at Walmart or whatever hate her guts because she's constantly just picking things up and going, ooh, shiny. She's like the dog in Up where she's in the middle of a sentence, and all of a sudden, squirrel. That's us. We are so easily distracted, especially by things that we can touch, things that we can see, things that are important to us, at least on some level. But I tell you what, we cannot allow the things of this world to distract us. And we certainly can't let the bad things that happen to us discourage us and take us out. Because I'm telling you right now, there are people in this room right now, uh, every one of us who have experienced hurt. 
who maybe even today, something went bad, something went wrong. And worship reminds us that God's in control. Worship reminds us that, that it's not the circumstances in life that dictate how I feel or how my effectiveness for the kingdom. It's not that. God and God alone has the last word about who I am. Not my circumstances, not the good things, not the bad things, him and him alone. Look what Paul says about Jesus in the book of Hebrews. He says in Hebrews 12 too, it says, fixing our eyes on Jesus then, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus endure the cross? How do we endure anything? He endured the cross because he kept his eyes focused on, on the prize. For the joy that was set before him, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, you were the prize. Because I think you need to hear it. You were the reason. Not, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that in a bad, I'm saying it in a good way. He endured that because you were the prize. You were the promise that God had promised him. Do this and you can have this. How cool is that? He went to the cross. He endured. He suffered. How do we do this thing? When we become fo focused on physical things, our vision becomes very small. And we become very self-centered. We, we think about only this little bit. And Jesus kept his eyes heavenward, kept his eyes on kingdom things. And guess what? His vision got very big. Now he's not just worried about himself. He's not worried about his suffering. He's not worried about the pain. He's thinking about the entire world. He's thinking all of humanity, past, present, and future. It's a way bigger thing. And when we think about things on a heavenly scale, we get perspective. We don't allow things to get blown out of proportion in our lives. And I'm not telling you to belittle what you're going through because I promise you, I know it hurts. But I tell you also what, in the grand scheme of things and compared to your God, it ain't nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. Paul said that it was nothing compared to the glory of the cross, what he was going through. And I tell you what, if a man suffered in this life, Paul suffered. Paul knew from suffering. And for him to say, yeah, compared to Jesus, it's nothing. That's the perspective we have to have. And worship keeps us connected constantly with things of heaven so that we can say, yeah, I know this stinks. And I'm walking through this thing that's hurtful and it's painful. But you know what? My God is way bigger than my circumstance. And I refuse to be taken out of the assignment that God has given me simply because things aren't going the way I thought they should go or gosh, to the way I wish they would go. Second that Jesus was given his assignment and the Holy Spirit comes down and descends upon him and tells him, no, this is, this is my son, right? The voice of God that says, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He goes off into the desert and the Bible says to be tempted. What did the devil tempt him with? Earthly things. The devil can't tempt you with spiritual things because the devil is spiritually bankrupt. He's got nothing to give you, but he can give you certain things. He can offer you food if you're hungry. That's what he did to Jesus. Hey, call, take, pick up that piece of stone and make it bread. He can offer you wealth. He can offer you power. He can offer you position. Yeah, those things. Maybe he, you know, that Jesus never even challenged Satan on his ability to deliver those things. He didn't ever say, yeah, you don't even have it. He didn't challenge his ability. He just challenged the worthiness of those things. I don't care about those things. I have God. I do what my father says. Man does not live by bread alone, he said. So it's not as though the devil can't produce a few things, isn't it? They're right. But he certainly is not going to give you a thing of any lasting value not going to give you anything that's going to go beyond this lifetime and so we keep our eyes focused on the things of god and we remind ourselves that this world is not our home guys this is not our home we are passing through and we're not off the hook right we're not off the hook this just because we're heading towards heaven doesn't mean we get to ignore the pain and the hurt now we're called to help ease the suffering the bible says that that religion that that god calls good and true is that we would take care of the widows and the orphans and that we would keep ourselves from being corrupted by this world. So we're not off the hook. We don't get to just go, woo, heaven's my home. I get to skip through. But I tell you what it does tell us is I don't have to stay here. 
And I don't have to pour all my folks and all my attention on the earthly things when I got a heavenly home waiting for me. And that is good news. Look at the way that Hebrews 13 says it. Hebrews 13, 14 through 15 says, For this world is not our home. We are looking forward to our city in heaven, which is yet to come. With Jesus' help, let us continually offer our sacrifice of praise to God by proclaiming the glory of his name. We continually offer praise to God. Continually. It doesn't matter what we're going through because this is temporary. As my mama used to say, this too shall pass. In the midst of my darkest times, she would say, this too shall pass. And she was right. It's hard when you're in the middle of it, isn't it? It's hard when you're in the middle of it to see that there's an end. But you know what? We've got to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And the perspective suddenly becomes very, very important to us. I see that in the light of Christ, this is not much. The second thing that worship does for us is this. Worship reflects God's glory back on us. Some of the offerings of praise I offer to God, they reflect back on me. Look at, the, look at what happened in Exodus 34, 29. When Moses had gone up to get the Ten Commandments, he went up and he saw God. And look what this says. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mount that Moses knew not that the skin of his face shone by reason of his speaking with him. He'd spent time with God and he was changed. He came down from the mountain resplendent with glory of God. He shone. Later on in that same book, it talks about how he had to wear a veil over his face because people were just constantly looking at him like, well, Whoa, I spent time with God. How do you spend time with God and not be changed? I don't know how it happens. I don't know how, how anybody can come into a place like this, into an atmosphere of worship, and leave here unaffected. We've spent time with the Holy One. We've communed with the creator of the universe. How could we leave here the same? If you can, tell me how you did it, because I, I, I want to make sure not do that. Because I don't want to leave the same. I don't know about you guys, but the Bible promised me a change from glory to glory to glory. And I'm still looking for it. I'm still elevating. Look, worship elevates not only the object of worship, but it elevates to some degree the worshiper as well. We get caught up into this thing of worship with God. It's amazing. He radiates from us just like he radiated to us. Just like he radiated off the face of Moses. The people of God should shine everywhere they go. I read a post last night on Facebook that said God loves um, something to the effect of God loves nice atheists more than hateful Christians. And I responded, there's no such thing as a hateful Christian. Those two things can't even coexist. If you call yourself a Christian and you're full of hate, I, I don't even know how that's possible. Christ says we're to love one another. There's no room for hate anywhere in there. I'll tell you a story real quick. My dad is one of my, okay, I will say he's my like, second favorite person in the world. I'm really categorizing people today, aren't I? I'm stratifying. My wife knows how I feel about my dad. Uh, I love my dad. He's, a, he's an awesome, awesome man of God. When I was a kid, probably about six or seven years old, he took us on a hiking trip. And uh, <laughs> you got to picture this. He was like Indiana Jones. I mean, the hiking boots, the, the, the holster around, and he put a gun. He had a st he's, he's, my mom's uh, freaking out. What are you going off into the woods with a gun for? Don't worry. It's boy time. It's man time. And a man needs his gun. So little did I know at the time, it was a little twenty-two revolver. It wasn't exactly, it looked like freaking Dirty Harry's Magnum 44, um, the biggest handgun in the world. But here's my dad, all right? And we're fixing to uh, hike off into the mountains, and he's got all his stuff. We've got our backpacks. He's got his holster. He's packing heat, dude, into the woods. What a dude. He's a stud. I'm telling all my friends. And all of a sudden, we're hiking, and we're playing around. He's showing us some stuff he'd seen when he was a kid. And uh, to the left of me, there appears this big scorpion. 
And in California, we don't get these little, you know, I don't even know what you call these things in West Texas, these little tiny scorpions, little transparent. This thing was huge. It was big, and it was black, and it was gnarly looking. And again, I'm six or seven years old, and I freak out. My brother freaks out. We're like, ah! And Dad calmly pulls out his 22. <laughs> and that thing went, <laughs> and he went, go kids and I went oh my gosh John did you see that uh -huh. he's amazing that's our dad and we had this aha uh -huh. now I brought this story out to my dad and he doesn't remember doing it he'll maybe in front of my mom he'll, I would never do this. he was literally not that far from us I mean he was there the scorpions there it was like boom so maybe he doesn't want to admit in front of my mother that that's what happened but I'm telling you bro the scorpion, every time I tell the story too, the scorpion gets bigger and the shot becomes a little bit more acrobatic. But it was, ah, <laughs> and I tell you something, I went home and I told my mom, and my dad was freaking out, don't tell your mom. I went to school on Monday and I told every poor schmuck who would listen, let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you what he did. Let me, oh, you got to hear this story. He's so cool. Guys, this is the way we should be with our Father in heaven. Let me tell you about what he's done. You have any idea how cool my father is? Have you ever any idea the kind of stuff he's blown away from me? Have you ever seen him take aim at my enemy and blow his head off? My God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above. And I am his kid. So that's the part that we sometimes forget. We become in awe of God and we forget. Here's the thing. I'm his son. The thing that made me so impressed about my daddy blowing that scorpion out of, the, out, of the, out of the ground wasn't entirely his skill and marksmanship. It was the fact that he's my dad. And guess what? If he can do it, someday I can do it. And I, I waited for the day when I could be with my kids in the forest. And I could pull my gun and be like, what's up? I got this. And then you go like this and you do it sideways like this. Because that's the kill shot. Kill shot. Guys. This is, the, this is the progression. It goes like this. My dad is awesome. I'm his son. Therefore, I'm a little bit awesome too. Some of that glory of my father gets reflected back on me. And we walk a little higher. We, lock, we walk a little taller. We treat people a little differently. We interact with one another in a different way. When I realize that I'm not just me, I'm actually representing my father in heaven. And it breaks my heart to see the body of Christ not be that for the world. It breaks my heart. To see posts like that where you see that people sometimes perceive us as being hateful and judgmental and mean. Are you serious? My father in heaven is not hateful, judgmental, or mean. He's not. He's holy and he's just, but he's merciful. He's graceful. He's forgiving. He's a God of multiple, multiple, multiple chances. And sometimes we give people two or three and we cut them off and we're done. Guys, we can be like him. Amen? Paul says it like this. And this is in the Amplified Version, so you have to kind of bear with me. There's lots of extra stuff in here. But it says this, in 1 Peter 2, 3, and 4, it says, For his divine power has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and suited to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellence or virtue. By means of these, he has bestowed upon us his precious and exceedingly great promises so that through them you may escape by flight from the moral decay, rottenness, and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness lust and greed and become and this is the important part sharers or partakers of the divine nature we can be a partaker of the divine nature that means i can be like him 
He wouldn't call me to do it if he wouldn't then equip me to do it. He wouldn't say, go and sin no more if he would not then equip me to go and live a sinless life. He would not say, you could be partakers of my divine nature and then withhold things from me. He says it. I can have it. My job is to go out and lay claim to it and say, this is who I am based upon my birthright, based upon what Christ says about me. I can walk a little taller and I can walk a little bit more like he does through the world. Amen. It's good stuff. Last thing I want to say is this is that the worst thing we can do is take something that God intended to be our privilege and turn it into an obligation. The worst thing we can do, take something God intended for our privilege and turn it into an obligation. Look at Mark, 20, uh, Mark 2, 27, and it says this, as Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made on account and for the sake of man, not man for the Sabbath. God instituted the Sabbath as a gift. He knew our tendency would be to work and work and work and work and work, That's the way he made us, to be workers. And he knew that if he did not sort of put something in there to require us to take a break, that we would work ourselves to death. And so the Sabbath is instituted so that we can pull away, we can set aside the work, and we can focus in on him for a time. Didn't take very long, however, until the Sabbath became all about the rules. The Sabbath became all about how you did it and how you functioned and could you do this and could you not do this and could you drive a, you know, could you walk to work but, or could you walk down the street because that's work or could you, you know, and it still goes on today. In modern day Judaism, they still argue and fuss and fight about what they can and can't do on the Sabbath. Can I drive, if I, I have to go to my office, can I drive? What can I walk? Can I use electricity? Can I not use electricity? It just becomes this whole big, giant, burdensome mess and God must just be sitting there going, seriously, this is, I made this for you. Why are you taking it and turning it into an obligation? Why are you taking it and turning it into a thing? The Pharisees, as they lay, wait in Je- as they lay and wait for Jesus like they always did, trying to catch him in something, waited to see on the Sabbath if he would heal. Remember that? So they laid around. Okay, is he going to heal? Is he going to heal on the Sabbath? And what Pastor Brandon and I talked about the other day, and he pointed out to me, was they never questioned the fact that he could heal. That wasn't even a question for them, that Jesus could heal, raise the dead, heal the blind. Nah, okay, that's fine. We get that, whatever. Don't, he, don't let him dare do it on the Sabbath, though. We'll be there to catch him when he does. Can you believe that? The audacity, the arrogance of these people standing in the presence of a miracle and getting bogged down by the legality of it? Are you kidding me? God, let that never happen to us. And they were so concerned with whether he was going to do wrong that they weren't even remotely thinking about all the right he was doing. They weren't even remotely worried about, you know, a lot of us say, man, if Jesus, would, if Jesus would just show up, boy, I, would, I sure would believe. I sure would be. It'd be a lot of, no, it wouldn't. These guys had Jesus right in front of them doing miracles. And they were like, eh, it's not an issue of whether we can see him. It's not an issue of whether we can walk with him physically. It's an issue of our heart and whether we're willing to accept what he says. Look at Matthew 23, verse 23. I'm sorry, I take that back. I'm going to skip up. Matthew 15, 8, because this is what he said about those people. He said, these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their hearts hold off and are far away from me. In the middle of this privilege, they started making obligations. In the middle of these get-to-dos, they started making them have-to-dos. And as we so are want to do, we start making checklists and little boxes. And I did this, and I did this, and I went to church, I took communion this month, I went to whatever. And we take these things, and we become legalistic about them. When God is after your heart, all of it, every single bit of it, he doesn't want all the other stuff. He wants your heart. We want to be people that draw near him, that say the right things, but, man, we also want to be the people that do the right things. 
I want to be the people that mean what we say when we worship him, that we're not just making a show for people. Last verse I'll, I'll leave you with is this, Matthew 23, 23, which says again to the Pharisees, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. These guys came along, and literally what they did was they hijacked worship. They hijacked it. God intended a purpose for it, and they continued doing the thing, but they certainly didn't intend it in the spirit it was intended. They didn't continue it that way. They hijacked it. They took it over, and Jesus had to come back on the scene and say, nah, no. We're going to go back to what this means to worship in spirit and in truth. We're going to go back to what it means to worship God for real. Speaking of hijacking, we've got a short little video we're going to show you, and then Pastor Brandon's going to take over. Pretty soon, like corporations, I know what they're going to do. They're going to like take our praise and worship songs, our you know songs we love in church, put their words to our music. That's just going to be horrible. One of my favorites is a holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. What's it going to be now? Krispy Kremes, Krispy Kremes are what I long for. Krispy Kremes are what I need. Krispy Kremes, Krispy Kremes are what I want to eat. Take some dough and form it. Add some glaze and warm it. Chew it up, transform it. <laughs> oh Lord, oh Lord, give me more. Then the car companies will get into it, you know. Ford, I lift your name on high. Ford, I love to sing your praises. I'm so glad you're four-wheel drive. I'm so glad you're fuel-injected. My Dodge is an awesome Dodge. It is such a really nice car, and it drives me really, really far. My Dodge is an awesome Dodge. I hope it never goes that far. That is the wrong version of corporate worship. And uh, we want to have authentic worship. And the thing is, it's so easy to turn it into something else, especially something that's just powerful and, and emotional and, and, and honestly life-giving. It's so easy for, it, for us to try to turn it into something that it's really not. Because the truth is, is God uses authentic worship to transform us. If we'll let worship be what it's supposed to be, we'll have to change it. It'll change us. It comes in and it, and it moves and it works. It works in our lives. It really, really does. See, John 4, 23 through 24 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the God, worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth we work real hard to make sure that the lyrics that we present and the songs that we true that we that we put up there are truth that we feel like that they have the right theological perspective and that they're they're helping us but the other part of it isn't just singing the right thing it's the spirit part 
True worship can only come from somebody that's alive in God. That's it. And that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to bring this about. And it genuinely transform us. And the thing is, is a lot of times we can, we can try to, for that to be squelched. Worship is one of my absolute favorite, favorite parts of the Christian life. I love music. I love it. But I have no talent at all. I mean, I'm just painfully up. I, this, today, Darren, I, I accidentally, hit a, accidentally hit a note. I was singing, and I went by, and, and Will, our bass player, said, well, why aren't you on the worship team? I was like, if I just hit a note, that was a total accident. I said, I can't replicate that if I want to. And early on in my Christian walk, and, and the man, I love him, and, I, and he was just teasing with me mostly. But when I, early on, I was, um, <clears throat> early on as a, as a youth pastor, I sat on the second row in church, and I'm, I'm loud. I'm a loud worshiper. And uh, the Bible says make a joyful noise, and I do, and, um, but uh, I'm off key, and I feel bad. I sit on the front row because it's handy and because I don't bother anybody else. It's just I only just throw off Nat and, and the, the team, and, um, and so and I try to keep, the, I try to keep my, my problem up here, and, uh, but he would, he would sit there, and we, of course, we lift our hands in, in worship, and I'd be right behind him. And so, and th- this is what I would see, okay? This is, the, this is this guy in front of me. And he's doing this, and then he goes. <laughs> and then he goes. And so, I-, I think that's why I just, when worship's on, I close my eyes. And it's just pretty much, I, my eyes are pretty much closed. If I'm up here, I smack my wife all the time. She's walking by, and I'm smacking her. Because my eyes are closed. Because I don't need to be discouraged by anybody in my worship. And early on, it was one of those things. And, and he didn't mean it. He was, he was teasing and whatnot. But I do sing bad. And, um, uh, but it was trying to squelch me to where I, I wasn't partaking in something that was going to be incredible in my life. That was going to be transformative in my life. In fact, Celebration Church kind of began in a worship service for me. Cutie and I were in this moment where we'd been praying and seeking God and we knew something was kind of up and I had no plan whatsoever and I'm sitting there in the middle of a a worship service and all of a sudden as I'm worshiping, God just drops into my heart. There was no plan and then there was just the full plan for what we were to do and it was crazy and it made no sense for us to sell everything. We'd been working on building up and and, and that was going to be our retirement someday and for us to relocate and, and go and load our family up in a motorhome and travel. And actually, it was, a tra- it was a travel trailer, in my opinion, at that point. Thank goodness Walt Harris talked me into a motorhome. And, uh, but we, uh, my wife's grateful. And uh, we, uh, to go and just let God grow in us the vision for what we're doing right now. And that happened in the middle of worship as I was just speaking to God and and he was whispering back to me and he just spoke right there. And our lives were forever, forever transformed in that place. It is when we really worship, when we really open up and give God the credit for all the good in our lives and listen to him. I'm telling you, this is a sweet moment where God can really, really change our lives. 
I mean, even at our men's, <clears throat> at our men's retreat, one of the very first things we fired it off with was some guys on guitars just worshiping outside behind the campfire. And all of a sudden, God's just working. You see guys crying. These grown men just, just beginning to weep with just worship. No preaching had happened, no anything like that, no prayer. It's just worship. It is transforming. It is transforming. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We have these two scriptures, and they've been life-altering for me. God just spoke to me through them when I was in college, and it just shifted my path of my life. But if we don't watch it, we will disconnect these two. Because we see the first one, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And then number two jumps down and says, do not conform. All of a sudden, it's now this New Testament commandment. Don't conform to this. But if you read the original Greek and you begin to study the original Greek, it's actually, it's not this command. It's not this do not conform. It's not like this thing that we, that we do. It actually should be translated. Because most of it, it's a conjunctive. It's one thought. And that, that original word there actually should be translated lest. Lest. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. Lest you conform to this. It's one thing or the other. Part of what we're doing in, this, in our worship is just allowing who we all, re our, regenerate, our regenerated selves... Our regenerated selves to stay true to that. We're new creations. And if we don't stay connected with God in this area of worship, then the conforming back to the world begins. But if we'll stay there, it helps keep us in our pure state, our renewed state. It is so important if you'll look at the King James Version or the Bible and Basic English Version or the American Standard Version, all of them use the word and. It's conjunctive. It should be translated lest instead of this thing that comes off as don't you dare do this. Just worship. Be a worshiper. It transforms us. It works in our lives. All right. Thank you. And worship changes the atmosphere. Just like that little music came on. They have a little bit of atmosphere change. It th throws things off a little bit. And they're going to turn it off for us because they're awesome. And, um, but worship changes the atmosphere of your life. It just does. Man, I tell you what, when I've had these places of frustration or confusion or not know what to do, I know this. I know God is good and he's been good to me and I will just begin to, to turn on some music and begin to thank him. I'll praise him in my vehicle. I will do whatever. And all of a sudden it begins to change the environment. Psalms 22.3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Enthroned in the praises of your people, other translations say. We're the people of God. And there's something wonderful. It's like the, when we all come together and we worship, we can, we can sense the presence of God in a special way. It's, we've invited his kingship here, and he's here. It really does. It begins to change the atmosphere. We begin to think different. We begin to respond different. We begin to move forward different. It really does change it. One of the most dramatic ones we see as we close here is Acts chapter 16. It says, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And after they had been severely flogged, 
Now, the uh, magistrates and the Romans, they were good at flogging. They were talented at it. And after they were severely flogged, they were thrown into the prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully upon receiving such orders. He took it seriously. He puts them in the inner cell and fastens their feet. So they're in prison, and their feet are cuffed together to the floor. They're in stocks. So now, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. It's not just them that are getting affected. They know they've been whooped on. They know, they know what's been through. They know it's an unpleasant place. And they begin, to pr- they begin to sing. They're praying and singing hymns to God. And they're worshiping in that ugly, painful, hurtful place. They are worshiping. And suddenly, there was an earthquake. There was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. Everybody. Now, here's the cool thing. As you go forward with the rest of this story, Paul and Silas didn't go, Woo, thanks for the jailbreak, God. Bink, we're out of here. Chains fell off. The doors are open. Boom, I'm gone. No. That wasn't the deal. They were there just they, they honored what was supposed to be going on. They honored the life. This guy, this jailer, begins about to kill himself because he thinks he's just lost the guy. The guy's like, no, we didn't go anywhere. They lead the jailer to Christ. They lead his family to Christ. Just this revival breaks out in this place. Why? Because they chose instead of... Uh, nobody, would, nobody would diss them for griping in this situation. Or maybe just going to sleep. Sometimes in life, in life, you just want to go to sleep. Just take a good nap and maybe it'll be over. These guys, it was midnight. They could have been asleep. It's dark. But instead, they worshipped. They worshipped. And it didn't just affect them. It affected everybody who heard them. It affected everybody. And it ends up having this chain reaction. It changes the atmosphere. Folks, I'm praying that we embrace that, that we as a church embrace that the other believers and other congregations in, the, in our community begin to truly worship God in spirit and in truth, giving him thanks and praise, not just in this place where the, where the music is going, but with our whole hearts and our whole lives, like Romans 12.1 says, presenting our whole bodies as living sacrifices, this spiritual act of worship, begin to transform Not just your life, not just your family, but the other people that come in contact with you. Worship is is an earth-moving thing. It affects all of our lives. See, folks, we were created to know God, and truly knowing His goodness and love produces this response we call worship. We're called to know Him. He wants us to know Him. He wants you to truly know him more than you even think you could want to know him. He wants to reveal himself to us in such beautiful and wonderful ways. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus tore the veil and took care of our sins so we can have access to God so that we can have that relationship with him we're supposed to have. Folks, when you get stuck, just worship. It's amazing how it begins to recalibrate things. We can begin to look at the world skewed. We begin to look at ourselves a little off. And worship, it brings it back. 
it fixes it. And this morning, what we want to do is we want to give you the opportunity. We want to make sure everybody here, because like I said, true worship only comes from those who, have, who, have, who are believers and have accepted, <coughs> accepted the gift of having our sins blotted out by the sacrifice of Jesus and embrace the fact that God has made us new creations and has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And we accept that by faith and faith alone. And if you, that's you, and you're ready to embrace that and take that, then we want to give you the opportunity. So I just want you to just, everybody, we're going to create a quiet moment here, and I just want you to bow your heads. And we want to we make this available.